With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From API, this is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm your host, Jane Van Ryan. Mention the phrase climate change and you're likely to generate a lively conversation. And today we're going to look at the issue of climate change from the perspective of two representatives of the oil and natural gas industry. Our guests are Lou Hayden, Senior Policy Analyst, and Russell Jones, Senior Economic Advisor of API. Welcome. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, good morning. Glad to have you with us today. Lou, let's start with you. Climate change, as you know, is very controversial. What's the position of the oil and natural gas industry? It's a it's a serious issue. Every company in the in the industry takes it seriously. Some folks are surprised to hear oil and gas companies even acknowledging or, or recognizing the issue. Temperature global temperatures are uh, a little warmer than they were a hundred years ago, and man-made actions do have an effect on the climate, just as natural actions and natural fluctuations have an effect on the climate. But the point is, um, I think now we're moving into an era where we really need to start talking realistically about how you address it. And you've got two studies, as I understand it. One addresses the investments made by the oil and natural gas industry to deal with emissions of greenhouse gases. Is that correct? That's right. Can you describe that? Tell us what you found. For the first time, it went through over 300, I believe, annual reports and federal government reports, and it looked at all the all the investments into low-carbon technology, or in other words, climate mitigation, greenhouse gas mitigation technology. And we're not talking about the stuff that's part of your everyday business. This is new forms of sequestration. This is new areas of liquefied natural gas. These are some uh, real frontier solar or geothermal research. We found that a little over $90 billion was spent between years 2000 to 2006. Out of that, about 45% of it was spent by oil and gas uh, companies. So that's a, a pretty sizable chunk out of all other spending on low-carbon technology, and that includes what the federal government is spending. So I think it's it's kind of undeniable that there's going to be a role for oil and gas companies into these new low-carbon technologies. 45% of all spending that you were able to find is a fairly significant proportion. Right, yeah, and I think it's picking up now looking for the next couple decades, but, you know, it's hard to predict. One thing I'd like to add to that was uh, buried in those numbers is uh, uh, efforts that our refineries have made. On our, We have a, a refinery energy efficiency pledge to improve our refinery operating efficiency 10% over 10 years, and for the latest data that we have, uh, in, in one single year we've improved efficiency enough to take the equivalent of 500,000 cars off the road, more than 500,000 cars off the road. And... Uh, at the same time, we also have to uh, continue supplying uh, our consumers with the fuels that they need, whether it's diesel, uh, gasoline, or jet fuel, because that's the kind of vehicles that people own right now. 
Now, there's a second study, and Russell, I'd like to get your point of view on that or get some information from you about that. This one has to do with how energy supplies could be affected by the proposed Lieberman-Warner bill that would establish a cap-and-trade program for emissions. What did your study discover? Well, just by way of background, people have been studying the Lieberman-Warner bill and other cap-and-trade bills and carbon tax bills for quite some time, but it's funny, uh, all of these have followed what economists call the demand-side analysis, and that is they've looked at uh, how much do greenhouse gas emission allowance costs have to increase to raise the cost of energy to the consumer so they change their behavior and use less. What we did instead is we looked at the supply-side impact. We asked the question, what's the impact of these allowance requirements on the people who supply energy to the American people? And we found two, two important things. Uh, first, on the natural gas, um, although emissions of natural gas make up less than 1% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, uh, this new study indicates that the allowance costs under Lieberman and Warner are so high relative to the cost of operating a gas plant, uh, gas wells, that it will cut back, it's estimated to cut back drilling as much as 40% by 2030 and reduce that U.S. natural gas output by as much as 12% by 2030. Now, this is a particularly bad thing because natural gas has half the carbon emissions as coal on a BTU basis. So, in effect, um, the Lieberman Warner Bill would hurt the supplies of uh, this low carbon fuel to our economy. Russell, this sounds rather counterproductive at a time when people are concerned about energy supplies uh, and about imports. Would this mean? potentially, that we would have to import more energy? Yes, the study indicates that that really could possibly happen um, for two reasons. One, when the study was looking at potential impacts on natural gas production, it projected that there would be a reduction in U.S. natural gas production. Uh, If consumers still need to buy that fuel, uh, it, it probably would have to come from imports. And similarly, with the impact on refining, With the uh, higher cost for U.S. refining activity, um, the study indicates that U.S. refineries would be less competitive with overseas refineries. Uh, We'd likely shift our refining uh, throughput overseas, and we'd end up importing less crude oil but more refined products, according to this study. And in both cases, we're importing, uh, uh, increasing our reliance on imports of refined products or of natural gas. And what would be the potential impact uh, on emissions? Well, particularly on uh, emissions, that's particularly important. It's a good question, Jane, because on natural gas, natural gas has about half the carbon emissions, carbon dioxide emissions, as coal does, and we do not want to displace natural gas because of that low-carbon fuel. So uh, we could be hurting ourselves on the natural gas side, and on the refining side, if we're just basically relocating uh, the emissions uh, from the refining activity, the study indicates that there would be no change in global refining emissions. Uh, they would just be reduced in this country, but they would be increased in another country, according to the study. So there's no net uh, improvement. Right. There would be on a, a refining basis. The study indicates that there would be no net change in, in global refining emissions, that means there would be little environmental benefit. What is the position of the industry on this bill? Lou, can you comment on that? 
Right now, we don't support the bill. I don't see how we could support the bill in its current form. Russell brought up the the effects you're going to have or it's estimated to have on low-emission natural gas, on clean-burning natural gas. We think it's part of our future. We don't think it's something we ought to get rid of or disincentivize, possibly sending refinery jobs overseas and, and without reducing emissions. Those are two very specific reasons that the cost structure of the bill is, we think, fundamentally flawed. We hope that the Senate revisits this issue uh, maybe next year. We're at a very unique time where this issue, climate change, is coming up at the same time, a lot of folks are really frustrated and worried about the economy, and in particular, we've seen it in fuel and energy prices. And I don't think this bill is the right way to go. Is it possible, though, that because we are in the middle of a presidential election, that this bill could come forward for a vote uh, prior to November? Yeah, well, I think it will go through a vote in the Senate. But as far as getting through the whole Congress and being signed by the president, you know, weird things happen in presidential election years, as you know, Jane. Well, it's certainly something we'll have to keep watching. Well, in your view, both of you, Lou and Russell, what do you think the government should be doing about climate change? I'll mention two things. One is people, while they're considering uh, what to do about climate change and new legislation, they also ought to remember uh, the energy bill that was passed last year, formerly known as the uh, uh, Energy Independence and Security Act, basically on the transportation sector, uh, the significant new requirements to improve uh, the corporate average fuel economy for vehicles, uh, a new requirement for uh, a low carbon emitting cellulosic fuel, which we have to figure out how to make, but the Energy Information Administration has estimated that those those factors in the transportation sector uh, reduce their projected emissions by in, in the next 14 years, roughly, by over 1.2 billion uh, metric ton of carbon of CO2. Additionally, on on technology. You know, we're searching for ways to provide energy services to people, but we need better technology that has lower carbon emitting. And right now we don't have the technology to reach some of the targets Congress is talking about. So I think basic research by government would be a contribution as well. Any additional thoughts, Lou? The federal government should look at access issues. There's a lot of uh, oil, a lot of clean-burning natural gas, a lot of other minerals available to us that we can get out of the ground or from underneath the ocean floor bed in an environmentally friendly manner. But a lot of them are off limits. We think that's a bit short-sighted. And second, these refiners, these fuel producers, I think are going through some economic hard times. Instead of transferring them overseas, we should try to have a tax system or a depreciation system that invests in those. Those are decade-long investments. And so I think a tax system that recognizes that would be a little more helpful to uh, energy security. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today on Energy Tomorrow Radio. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.